Thank you, Lou. You do have high expectations after that introduction, don't you? <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I, I do appreciate the opportunity when Austin asked me. Um, she mentioned our connection at Eagles Way, where I'm the, the former youth pastor there. So we have a connection there, and that's where I am most Sundays when Kitty's here. Um, but I will tell you, this is my second home. I really do. I love this church. I love your people. I, I love everything about it. And I love you because you love my wife also. So it's really good. She came down to sit today because she asked me if she could come down. I told her she might distract me, but she's over here. So if I get hung up, just give me a minute, okay? But thank you for uh, allowing me to be here today. Um, I want to start this off this morning by telling you I play a lot of golf. That does not mean I'm a golfer, but I play a lot of golf. Um, I've had a, the opportunity in the last several weeks or months of playing with Austin on Fridays. He and I have been playing pretty much uh, every Friday or every other Friday, and I really enjoyed getting to know him and playing with him. But I spend a lot of time at the golf course. Matter of fact, I spend so much time at the golf course, I've started receiving mail out there. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me from time to time, they'll run into me and I'll talk to them and they'll say, I thought you worked here because <laughs> I'm here there so much. But I'm going to talk to you today about a word, uh, the word of doubt. Scripture this morning is going to be the, the story of doubting Thomas and I want to I kind of elaborate with you about the word doubt and where it comes up to play in our lives and what we do with it and how we do it because this is a great example that, that was left for us in the Scripture. Um, so I want to tell you a golf story first. When I said I play golf, I'm not a golfer. So not too long ago, I was on the eighth hole at Shoal Creek, and I was about 120 yards out from the green. And it was just, just an easy shot to hit it on the green. So I did what I do a lot of times, and I, I didn't swing as well as I should have. And I pulled the ball. And as it left my club and started going well left of the green, I had a lot of doubt that that ball was going to find the green. It was, it was going to head it to the woods. And as all golfers, I hit my club on the ground thinking, you know, what a crazy shot that was. And lo and behold, my ball hit a tree and bounced back onto the green and rolled up about four feet from the pin. <laughs> now, I had my doubts that that was ever going to happen, but this is kind of a, a good story about this whole thing about Thomas is um, I think God smiled on me that day I think he really looked down and grinned and said, see what I can do? <laughs> I'll help you out occasionally. Um, but I wanted to talk to us this morning about doubt. So let's, let's define doubt. What is it? We all pretty much know what it is, but I want to give you the definition of doubt. It's defined to not feel certain or confident about something. To think that something is not probable. To be uncertain or to believe that something may not be true or unlikely to have no confidence. Now, we've all had doubts in our lives, right? Some of you may have had them this morning, whether you're going to get ready in time to come to church. Sometimes that happens. Doubt is a combination of the facts that we calculate in our head that creates a feeling for us. That's where doubt comes from. Um, part of my message this morning, as I spoke here before, you know that I'm really a big believer in trying to control our thoughts and to be aware of how we think, where our thoughts go, what runs through our mind. You can either let your mind run or you can run your mind. It's your choice. If you let your mind run, it will take you all sorts of places. 
and creates a lot of doubt for you in a lot of ways. But I want you to remember this, how you feel from your doubt is going to be how you believe about anything. This coming July, it'll be 53 years when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Now, most of you, my age, some of you are a little older, but everybody here remembers that pretty much. There's some young people here who have no concept of this whatsoever. But I'll tell you, on July 20th, 1969, that was a big day. I remember sitting in my living room watching on a black and white television set, because that's what we had, but it didn't matter because the feed from the moon was in black and white, so we were all watching in black and white. And we watched Neil Armstrong go down the ladder of the lunar, uh, the lunar module and step on the moon and uttered those words of a giant step for man and mankind. And man, it, it was a wonderful day. But there were a lot of people who doubted that that ever happened. There's a lot of people today who doubt that it ever happened, that it was staged, that nobody's ever been to the moon. You see, they calculate facts and they create a feeling and in their mind, they're convinced it never happened. Whatever you believe is true is true, whether you're right or wrong. That's part of the thinking piece. We all have checklists of questions that we use to believe or not believe something. All of you have been like me. You see magicians sometimes and you think, there's no way. How'd they do that? That, that did not happen. You know, it's a trick. <laughs> and we have doubts about things in that way, but I want you to understand that this morning our scripture comes in John 20, 24 through 29, and I am going to go through some things that when we think about this story in scripture, there usually there's two things that, that kick out about it. And usually when the message is preached on this scripture, it's either about how important it is to be in church because, because Thomas missed a church meeting, he didn't see Jesus, and that's where his doubt came from, or it's a message about how we deal with doubt. I want to look at it just a little bit. I want to give a little bit of a twist on it this morning, so just stick with me. But I'm going to, I'm going to read the Scripture one verse at a time, and then I just want to elaborate on it, and then I'll wrap it up with some thoughts about it. So it is uh, starting in verse 24. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Now where was Thomas? Where was he that day? You know, we just assumed that he decided not to meet not to be with them. But maybe he had something he had to do. Maybe he didn't get the invitation. Maybe, there's a lot of maybes as why, but the, the, this first scripture tells us that he missed something because he wasn't there. Now, I'm not a legalistic type of person that believes you got to be in the church every time the door is open. But, <laughs> I'm a big believer that if you can be here, you need to be here. Why? Because when you're not here, you miss stuff. You miss stuff. I know for me, if, when I miss church, I feel different, usually. I feel different. So this first part is, I don't know why Thomas was not there the night that uh, Jesus came to the disciples. It's not that big a deal to me to, to try to figure that out. But the point of that scripture right there is to tell you and I is we need to be where we should be when we can be there. So we don't miss stuff. Verse 25 says, The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, This is Thomas speaking, Except shall I see his hands 
for the nail prints and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, he made a declaration here, I will not believe. Wow, we learn a little bit about Thomas here, don't we, in this scripture. Here's what we learn. If Thomas were to serve on a jury for us today, it would be a hung jury because you couldn't hardly convict him unless he actually saw the thing happened because that's the stance that he took. Now, I want you to keep in mind, all the disciples who told him, who just witnessed this and who shared this information with him, they weren't people that he didn't know. They were buddies. They'd been in ministry for three years together. They'd seen all sorts of miracles. But they made a declaration to him or they told him, they informed him that Jesus had returned and he immediately took the stance that unless he was able to see it for himself, he would not believe. Wow. That's a big stance. And we read that sometimes and we think about how could somebody like that be so foolish? But here's the question. Don't we do the same thing? A lot of times, don't we do that sometimes where we create doubt when we hear things that we have not actually witnessed? Verse 26 says, and after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas was with them this time. And then came Jesus. I love this part of the scripture. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Now this is the second time that the other disciples had been in Jesus' presence. This is Thomas's first. He missed it. Jesus made this interesting, like I said, without opening the door, he came through and came into the room, appeared to them. But here's the piece of this verse that I want you and I make, taking a little bit of a twist to hold on to. Here's what Jesus said, peace be unto you. When Jesus came in, he made that declaration. Here's the deal. Jesus is peace. He takes peace with him everywhere he goes. In this story, everywhere he's been, in every other story, he takes peace with him. Now, you and I have the same ability. You have the same ability that we take peace with us everywhere you go. Personally, I've been in some situations I know a few years back I had to go somewhere that there was conflict and I was worried about going. I knew the stance that I wanted to take. And this scripture hit me back then and it, I was on my way there and I said to myself or God said to me and then I repeated it back, peace be with you. And I was reminded, he said, you take peace with you everywhere you go. See, I appreciate that introduction you gave because it fits kind of into this. I, my goal in life is to make people smile. Everybody smile real big. Okay, so I feel good. That's really one of my life goals uh, every day. I want, when I meet somebody, I want to make them smile in some way because a smile is peaceful. And I want to live my life taking peace with me everywhere I go. And I was reminded in this instance, and I'm not telling you the details and all, but before I went in, there was a peace that came over me because I said to myself, this is a, there is a conflict here, but I'm bringing peace. And I was amazed. When I went in, peace took over. And it was not anything like had been described. It was a total peaceful negotiation. Everything was smooth. It was all done. It was good. But in the scripture, 
Jesus said to Thomas and the other disciples, peace be unto you. I just want to remind you again, you have that ability everywhere you go. Take peace with you and be the peace. Verse 27, then said he to Thomas, Jesus is speaking to Thomas here, and he says, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Wow. Wow. Now Jesus wasn't there when the disciples met and they described to Thomas what had happened. But Jesus knew exactly what Thomas's doubt was without him telling him. That's a good message for you and I too, of knowing Jesus knows our thoughts. He knows our hindrances. He knows what's holding us back. And what he's telling him and you and I is that we have to believe not be faithless, to believe. I want you to notice something also in this scripture that jumped out at me as I was studying this and looking at it. Here's the thing. Jesus, he didn't respond to Thomas in a condescending way. Oh, I heard what you said. I heard what you said. You're not going to believe. Well, here. He didn't approach him in that way because that's not how Jesus operates. Thank goodness for you and I. He was not condemning but loving. He wanted to encourage Thomas about his doubts. And so he met Thomas where he needed to meet him and said, here, touch for yourself. I want you to see. In verse 28, it says, and Thomas answered him and said to him, my Lord, my God, before he touched him. Just based on Jesus' words. Scripture doesn't even tell us that he actually did it. But he had the opportunity to because Jesus presented it to him the way he needed it to help Thomas. Now it's interesting, this is the first place in Scripture where anybody referred to Jesus as Lord and God. This is after the resurrection. See, at that moment, when Jesus had the conversation with Thomas, his doubt was removed. And it wasn't so much the fact that Jesus offered for him to actually do the touching, but it was based on what he saw and what he heard from Jesus' words. Now, this is the way you and I live our lives, too. Our lives can be changed. Thomas's life changed for the better at that moment on that day, he believed. His eyes were open because of the way Jesus helped him. Now, Jesus helps you and I the same way. When I was um, uh, I think I was about 45 years old, maybe 46, I was going through some training for counseling at church. And part of that training came to a portion in there where they described that what we do as humans is that we think of God pretty much in the same line the way we think of our earthly father. We make that connection. We see God based on how our earthly father, what his life is like. 
And as you know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of different experiences with their fathers. Some are absent, some are kind, some are mean, some, all over. My dad was a very distant father, meaning he didn't, he taught me to hunt and fish and do some of those things, but my day-to-day -day life, he wasn't connected in that very much at all. He was a career military guy. He was a first sergeant in the Army, and that's the way our family was ran. I used to tell my kids when uh, I would wake them up to go to school, when I was on the day shift at Delta, and I'd go in and lightly wake them up or try to get them up. My dad would come in and turn on the light and say, don't make me come back. And that's how he said good morning, okay? And I never made him come back, by the way. <laughs> I never, never made him come back. But he was very distant. He was, um, he was rough. Um, to me, as a child, he was mean at times. I don't, my dad died when he was 56. I was 18 years old when he had a heart attack and died. I have no memory of him ever looking me in the face and saying he loved me. I'm not saying he didn't. I have no memory of it. I never, to my knowledge, I don't have any memory of him ever saying those words to me. And I realized going through that training and when we got to this portion here, how I had a skewed vision about God because I saw God a lot in the same way. Distant, off, away somewhere, looking down on me with a pointing finger. You better stay in line. You better not do this. You did what? That's the way I saw God. Until that day when we went through this in training. And it was, so for me, it, 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 it opened up my eyes and took some doubt out of my mind of the way that I actually thought that God was. And it changed my life forever because I saw God the way he actually is, which is the way Jesus dealt with Thomas in a very loving, kind way to remove his doubts. So it says that Thomas believed and had answered to him, my Lord, my God, and his eyes were opened. Then in verse 29 it says, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. This is a message for you and I. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. See, that's the part in this story that's for, you, for us. Because we can't see Jesus. Not physically. Jesus used this event in the life of his disciple to deliver a message to you and I. We haven't seen him. But we believe in him, and we receive faith, and we receive his blessings when we do. He helped Thomas remove all doubt, and it changed everything for him. When we remove the doubt, good things start to happen. Now, I'm a sports kind of guy. I love sports a lot. And I'm going to tell you a story that happened in 1988, the World Series. I'm a big baseball guy. The Dodgers were playing the Oakland Athletics. Now, I don't like the Dodgers, but the story's good about the Dodgers, but that's just how the story goes. It's part of it. So the Dodgers had a baseball player on their team. His name was Kirk Gibson, and he was a, a good star on that team. And when they got into the playoffs that year in 1988, he had, a, he had a knee injury that was keeping him from playing full time. They tried to play him again in the playoffs. He tried to play through the injury, and he hurt his hamstring, and he could hardly walk. But they won the playoffs. He didn't play in some of those games. They made it the World Series. Now, 
the back story to this, on, on the first game of the World Series, Kurt Gibson was on his way to Dodger Stadium. And this, is com this comes from his testimony afterwards. He said, on the way to the stadium that day, I realized that I had dreamed the night before that I hit a home run to win the ball game. I dreamed it during the night. He said, it was so strong to me that when I got to the ballpark that day, I knew I was going to hit a home run that day. So he got to the ballpark, of course, and he looks up, and he can hardly walk. And, of course, he's not in the starting lineup. He's not playing. So he sat on the bench, cheered his game team on, and it came down to the ninth inning, the bottom of the ninth. The Dodgers were losing by one run. The batter at the plate, ah, I forgot his name. I'll think of it in a minute. They walked him intentionally because Tommy Lasorda, the manager of the Dodgers, had told Kirk Gibson that he was going to let him pinch hit. So he came up to the, the on-deck circle, so the other team knew he can hardly walk. So they walked that guy intentionally, put him on first base to pitch to Kirk Gibson. And you can go watch this on YouTube, by the way. You just Google Kirk Gibson, it comes up. And it, the, the best YouTube is about 90 seconds. Um, but he walks up to the plate, and I remember watching this, and he, I'm telling you, he was hobbling. He could barely get up to the plate. He's a left-handed hitter. He got up there, and he stood. They threw the first pitch, and he made a terrible swing and fouled the ball off. He barely hit it, but when he fouled it, you could tell he was in excruciating pain. He got back into the box. Next pitch came. He swung again, fouled it off again. Two outs, two strikes, down by one run. I still get chill marks when I think about this story. He stood in the plate. The next pitch was a pitch low and away, which is not what you want to hit a home run to right field when you're a, right, a left-handed batter. He took a big swooping swing. He connected with the ball, and it landed in the upper deck of the stadium. And when he ran around the bases, he didn't run around the bases. He could barely walk. He, he, he was absolutely like this pace right here. The place went bananas. Uh, I thought Dodger Stadium was going to fall down. I thought the announcers were going to, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable moment. Two-run homer, Dodgers win the game by one run from a guy who cannot walk. But here's the key. He had no doubt that he was going to do that. He said he dreamed it. He felt it the whole game. Got to the ninth inning, and he said, I still didn't, I did not let that go. I knew. I was going to hit a home run. Didn't know how it was going to happen. Didn't know what was going to take place. Wow. Wow. See, I'm telling you that story because this right, doubt is a very strong emotion. And it can work both ways. It can work both ways. So my challenge for you this morning is this. We have to make up our minds and understand and pay attention to what do we doubt? What do we doubt? Who do we doubt? In closing, I want to stress what I believe that this story is about today. I think, first of all, it's about how Jesus confirmed and took away all doubt in a non-judgmental way from one of his loving disciples, how he congratulated him for believing and left a message for you and I. Just believe. Man, belief is a strong, strong thing. But 
question I have for you today is a challenge for you is to, I want you, you have to evaluate you. You got to look at you. Got to look on the inside. Sometimes I catch myself when I'm not doing the things I know I should do and I have conversations with myself. Sometimes in the bathroom mirror, I close the door, I look in the mirror, the guy looking back at me, and I say, we need to talk. We need to talk. Sometimes you have to do that. And to do that, you got to evaluate yourself. So my challenge for you today is to evaluate what is it in your mind, in your life, that you've lost your belief, that you lost your, that you, you have doubted and, and have allowed it to consume you. It can consume you. A lot of times we say these words, I'll believe it when I see it. That we should be better than that. So do you have doubts about your health or your sickness? Do you have doubts about your finances? Do you have doubts about your relationships? It could be political. It could be about your future. If you, look, if you allow those doubts to run rampant in your mind, it will consume you. Remember what I said, whatever you feel is how you're going to believe. And whatever you believe is what's going to happen. So you got to challenge yourself when you find yourself doubting about those things. That you hold on to the, the faith that God is with you. And he's a loving, wonderful father who wants to be there for us all the time. We just have to welcome him in. We have the opportunity to show people who Jesus is. That's really how doubt goes away in our minds and other people's as well. We've got to, we've got to do a better job of, of showing people Jesus in everything that we do. So lastly, as I close, I want to give you one more example and think about this. Have you ever seen wind? Have you ever seen it? No, you have not. You've not seen wind. You've only seen the evidence of wind. You see the leaves moving. You can feel it on your body. You can feel it. I've still got a little hair. You can feel it when it goes through your hair. But you've never seen wind because you can't see it. But you can feel the evidence and see the evidence. That's for you and I today of removing doubt. See, we need to be like the wind to show who Jesus is so that when they see us, they see the evidence of him. Everywhere we go, that we leave evidence that he's been there. That's how we're supposed to live our life. That's what I think this story is all about is removing those doubts and then stepping up to our, our own lives in our relationship with him and being who we should be to the world. So, Jesus can't be seen in person, but just like the wind, it's up to us to provide that evidence. So I want to close with this. Remove all doubts of all his wonder, of all his mercy and grace, and be the light of our world. 